Hello, and thanks so much for tuning into the Digging Deeper podcast with Pastor Ken Vance. This podcast is designed to go a step beyond the Sunday teaching with a more in-depth look at the topic Pastor Ken shared with us this past weekend. So whether you're on your way home from work or pouring yourself a fresh cup of coffee, we hope you enjoy today's podcast. Make sure to hit that subscribe button so you don't miss the next episode. And now, here's Digging Deeper with Pastor Ken Vance. Hello, everybody, and thanks for tuning in. I'm Pastor Ken Vance, the Senior Pastor at Vertical Church, and this is our weekly podcast, Digging Deeper with Pastor Ken. Thank you for taking time out of your busy schedules to listen in and to go deeper with us as we explore the truths in God's Word. These podcasts are designed for those who really hunger for more of God and really want to go deeper and 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 see their faith grow. And so it's exciting to be able to share with you. And we've been in a series of discussions about the unseen. And this is so important and so critical to us because, yes, we live in a culture right now that has become so intellectualized that it thinks that somehow spiritual things or the unseen area is just nonsense or it is ancient superstition, that there is really no such thing as the unseen. But it is, as we've been talking about, important for us to know because there is an unseen world and it seeks to influence the seen world, whether for good or for evil. You see, God is spirit and he created the spiritual world. In fact, the unseen world created the seen world that we have. And God seeks to influence the world for good. But at the same time, there is an enemy that seeks to influence it for evil. And that's why it's important that we begun, begin to know and understand how to access the help that God provides us, how to learn to yield to him so that he can work through our lives, and how to resist the forces of darkness and evil that are in our day, and how to overcome when we are. And so today we're going to talk about the subject of spiritual warfare, because there is a conflict on the earth between good and evil, between light and darkness. There's no place of neutrality, but it's important that we understand that, because again, the unseen seeks to influence the seen, and this conflict seeks to influence humanity. Why? Because human beings were given by God a free will. We have the right to choose. No one does evil without choosing to do evil, just as nobody does good without choosing to do good. There are choices. What's good news for us is that the enemy can't make us do anything we don't want to do. And at the same time, God has limited his own influence in our lives by our decisions. Although Jesus died for the whole world, it's only those who believe in and trust in Christ, who ask Christ to come into their life, that find the salvation that God has intended and desire that all would experience. That's why scripture says God's not willing that any would perish, but he, his desire is that all would come to repentance. In other words, all would change their thinking and receive what God has provided for them. And we need to know how to be victorious in this area. And when we understand that, we can realize that Jesus has already won the conflict. Spiritual warfare is not us overcoming the devil on our own. It's the realization that Jesus has already overcome the enemy and we can live the victory which Jesus has provided. 
In Matthew 28, when Jesus arose from the dead, he said, all authority is given to me, both in heaven and in earth. And then his next words are so critical. He said, therefore you go. We have gained the victory of Christ because Jesus triumphed through the cross. Jesus won the battle to free us from sin and the control of Satan. And therefore, we can walk in the victory that Christ has provided for us. And But it's important that we know, and that's why spiritual warfare, we must recognize and understand, begins in our soul. The control of our soul. The enemy seeks to control our soul, but the Bible has so much to say about this. It's important that we understand and recognize as human beings who we truly are. We are a three-part being created by God. We, mankind is a, a spirit because we were made in the image and likeness of God. In Genesis 2-7, it says, God breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life. The word breath in Hebrew can also be translated spirit. Mankind became a living being when the spirit breathe, was breathed into him. That's why James tells us that the body without the spirit is dead. And so mankind lives in a body because we live in a physical, material world. And man was created by God to rule the physical and material world because God, God made man in his own image. Human beings as image bearers were to uh, uh, dominate, have dominion over the earth and rule it in the power and love of God. And so it's important that we see and understand this because our mind, our soul, is how we contact the two separate worlds. There's the spiritual world and there's the physical world. And it is our soul. Our soul constitutes our, our mind, our will, and our emotions. And that's why it's so important. The Bible has so much to say on this subject. In fact, in James chapter 1 and verse 21, it says, Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to, to save our souls. In other words, the influence of God's word can change our thinking, can change our way of life. Our soul is important because what we believe comes from what we think. Our thinking affects our believing and our believing governs our behaviors. What we do in life is what we believe there, it, it comes from our beliefs. Our actions are based on what we think and believe are best, and therefore we act in accordance with that. And that's why it's so important. But how do our beliefs come? The Bible tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. In fact, the Bible tells us that it's important. In Mark 4.24, it says, Consider carefully what you hear. Jesus speaking here. It's important what we listen to because what we listen to affects how we think and how we think affects how we believe and ultimately how we believe affects how we behave. So it's important what we hear, but it's also important how we hear because Luke 8.18 says, therefore, consider carefully how you listen. It's important that we recognize not only what we listen to, but how we listen, because there are times when important things are being shared and our minds can be distracted. We can be thinking about other things, and it's important not only what we hear, but how we listen. Because to the, I love this 
It says it in the King James Bible this way, the measure and thought and study we give to the truth we hear will determine the power and virtue that come back to us. In fact, that's amplified of Mark's, Mark 4. It's important how we listen to the Word of God, what we listen to and how we listen to it. Romans 12, 2 tells us that do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. The transformation of our lives is tied, listen, to the renewing of our mind. It's important because as we begin to think in unity with God, it changes our outlook. That's why a Christian worldview is so critical because as we see things as God sees, we're more inclined to do as God says. When we see as God sees, we see the possibilities of what God can and will do in our lives if we trust him. But when we allow the spirits of darkness to influence our mind, fear will make us shrink back. Fear will cause us to not do or act upon things that we believe are right because we fear. Darkness can so try to control and influence the way we act and the way we ultimately believe. And here's the ultimate end. Proverbs 23, 7 says, For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. And that's why it's important that we understand the, how this all works. The Bible has so much to say about the soul. I love this. In Psalm 103, it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. In other words, the psalmist was telling his own mind, his own, his own uh, mental faculties to bless the Lord. He said, Do not forget all of his benefits. Why? Because the, the troubles of life and the difficulties of our times can make our mind think about other things, but we need to remember the goodness of God. We need to keep our mind steadfast on the promises and will of God because that's where faith comes from. That's how it influences. But this is why the way our enemy seeks to work. Satan works to operate through the soul. Why? Because he, if he can gain control of our soul, he can govern the way in which we live. And we will live as slaves, living in a way and under a pattern of this world. But we can be transformed. But you see, the enemy, the good news again, as I said before, he can't just do anything he wants. So the way he operates is through temptation. And in that, he tries to suggest something or listen, plant a thought in our minds. Because he seeks to see whether or not that thought will germinate. Because if we take his suggestion, if we begin to think about it, that's the way the enemy works. When we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, Satan's primary means is head games. He attempts to get in our head. He attempts to control the way we think. He attempts to cause our worldview to be shaped and formed by what we see. But the Bible tells us to walk by faith and not by sight because what we see can change from day to day. That's why uh, 2 Corinthians 4 tells us that we look at the unseen, not at the seen, because what is seen is temporal, but what is unseen is eternal. And when our minds are established upon what God said and the promises of God's word, it can influence us to do the works and the will of God. But when the enemy attempts to operate, he plants a thought because what happens is, as human beings, when we obsess over thinking, and that's the way it begins with any work that the enemy provides, one thought leads to another thought, and then all of a sudden you find that your mind 
runs in a certain direction. You find yourself thinking about it all the time. It's the way worry operates. It's the way fear operates. It's the way lust operates. Now, we think of lust in a sexual fashion, but lust is any strong desire. People can have lust to gain different things in their life. They can seek power. They can seek influence or on a sexual level. In fact, nobody who's ever been involved in an extramarital affair, did it just begin overnight? It really began many times with just a thought, just a suggestion, and you saw things differently. And then all of a sudden, one thought turns into another thought, and then our minds can become obsessed with thinking. And as our thinking begins to grow that way, we learn, we look to find a way to uh, make real, to act upon these things that have become an obsession in our thinking. It can lead to oppression. That's where it comes from. People become controlled. They become overwhelmed. They become oppressed and down. They can become oppressed with wrong thoughts and wrong beliefs. And then ultimately, outside of Christ, because I don't believe a Christian can be possessed, but for people in the world that don't know Christ, they're Thinking can go from obsession to oppression to possession, where all of a sudden we begin to act out the will of the enemy just naturally. And so listen to these, listen to this scripture in 2 Corinthians 10. Paul gives us this clear delineation regarding spiritual warfare. He says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. In other words, the tactics of God are not like the tactics of our world. They're not, the, they're not like the way the enemy, the enemy seeks to force people, to manipulate people, to control people through their fears. But God works entirely differently than that. God works through love. It's the goodness of God that leads men to, to repentance. And the word repentance literally means to change your one's thinking. It's the goodness of God that can change our minds about things. But it goes on to say here in 2 Corinthians 4, uh, 10, 4, it says, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. In other words, God gives us weapons. And that's why it's important we know the weapons of our warfare and how to operate within them, which we'll cover today. But they're powerful through God. That's why it's important for us to learn them and, and begin to employ them. And what do they do? They demolish strongholds. And we'll come back to that in just a second because he goes on to say and define for us what a stronghold really is. He says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and take captive every thought. See, spiritual warfare is right in the realm of the soul. It begins with controlling our thoughts, taking every thought captive and making it obedient to Christ. And we being ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. In other words, we need to see and understand that the enemy operates in a way where he tempts human beings to think in a certain direction. In the Garden of Eden, when God placed two trees in the middle of the garden, they represented, it was a metaphor in this reality, the, the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was the opportunity for human beings 
to either define good and evil on their own terms or live out of the tree of life, which is in essence the wisdom of God. That's what Proverbs tells us, that God's wisdom is a tree of life. But you see, human beings seized autonomy because they had a free will. They listened to the enemy and chose to define good and evil on their own terms. It is the source of where hurt and pain and conflict and all sorts of evil come down. When human beings attempt to, to, to dishonor their creator, to not listen to the wisdom of God and to understand why God created what he created and how it was in, intended to be good for humanity, we take often what is good and turn it into something that can be evil. And that's why it's important that we see that because God gives us weapons that are divinely charged to confront the what? Arguments. That's what Satan provided in the Garden of, of Eden. An argument against God's wisdom. God had said to mankind, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why? The outcome of it would produce death. The outcome of it would be consequences that they really did not want. It would not be good for them, but they still had the choice. And because mankind chose that, we know and live with the, with the ramifications of that and all of the evil that came into our world as the results. But God says he gives us weapons to confront those arguments and all of the pretensions or imaginations because that's how the enemy operates. Whatever he tempts us with, whatever he suggests, he tells us and promises us that it will do something for us. And whatever momentary pleasures it might provide, it ultimately leads to death. It ultimately leads humankind to regrets and to anguish. Because what we think will bring so much pleasure and joy to our lives are empty. And we'd fail to realize that when we give in to temptation, that the consequences of it, you see, the enemy tempts you up front, but never tells you what it will ultimately bring your life. Never does he, I, I, I call Satan the ultimate used car salesman. He never tells you all the truth. He promises you that it'll do everything for you, but never tells you that it'll blow up in your face. It'll, it'll turn in a way that you didn't intend it to be. And how many times have we fallen for the deceptions of it and done something wrong that we sinned and it didn't produce for us what we ultimately wanted it to produce. And many times we live with regrets or shame. Isn't that what happened to humankind? What Satan promised them would do so much for them. They ended up hiding. They ended up fighting with one another. And ultimately uh, it brought pain and, 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 and trouble to our world. And so that's why it's important that we see that the weapons of our warfare, they're not carnal. They're not uh, 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 weapons of the world, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. A stronghold represents a fortress. And unfortunately, when our minds become obsessed or when we believe certain things, whether they're based on God's word or not, whether they're based on fact or not, we can actually form strongholds in our mind. If you've ever given into temptation and it produced a way of life, those strongholds are ways that we struggle with, with doing right. We, we are obsessed with ways of thinking, and that's where our vulnerabilities become to the enemy. Strongholds represent also ideas about life that we believe to be true, and we resist 
the ways of God. We kick back against those ends and we can form these strongholds in our lives, which ultimately are based on lies. Lies are things that are not based on the truth of God's word. And too many people have formed opinions about their life. Many people think they're not, they don't measure up, that there's something wrong with them because of the way they look, because of the, their race, because of their social class, something about themselves. Many people have opinions about their life and they can become strongholds that no matter what somebody tries to tell them, they believe something about themselves that is sometimes self-destructive. They can have low self-esteem, bad opinions about themselves based on sometimes the opinions of others or just things that they believe. But see, God's word can ultimately dispel the darkness. God's word has the ability to upend those arguments and those imaginations. It can ultimately, God's word is a thing that can destroy the strongholds and change our thinking. Because if we change our thinking, we can change our lives. And that's why for you and I to understand that spiritual warfare is learning to confront the things that oppose the will and knowledge of God so that we can take those thoughts captive because ultimately our victory is when we're willing to be obedient to Christ. You see, strongholds can be in areas like money. Many people feel like, well, you have two sides of the coin. Some people think that money's evil and we don't need, you know, I, 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 money's just wrong. And, but more than that, people generally think, no, my money's my own. I'm not going to do what God wants me to do with my money. I'm not going to put God first with my money. I'm not going to trust God with my money. It's my money. And we can have wrong ideas about areas like sex not thinking that God's view of sex, defining good and evil on our own terms. No, I don't believe that sex is only for marriage. Oh, I believe you can do anything you want to do. It's your body. Live any way you want to live. And those lies can form strongholds and we miss out on the will and purpose and plan of God. How about our possessions? We think everything is for us. We think these are all mine, but we fail to realize that our possessions really are tools that God wants to use, not only for our own enjoyment, but to help and to bless the lives of others. You see, when we live selfish lives, we live shallow, unfulfilled, empty lives. But when we learn to allow God's word to change our thinking, it can change the way in which we live and it can cause a life of fullness, a life of fruitfulness, a life that's great. And so, our thinking. We have ways of thinking about marriage. We have ways of thinking about dating. We have ways of thinking that make excuses in our lives, why we don't do the will of God. We have excuses. We have strongholds in our minds, why we can't spend time with God, why we can't make in a, in a 24-hour period a time frame to grow in relationship with God or in community with others, or in serving the lives of others. See, we can have excuses, we can have strongholds, we can have ways of thinking that prohibit us from fulfilling the will of God, from obeying God's purposes for our lives. And that's why in 2 Corinthians 10, it tells us that we need to be ready to punish every act of disobedience when our obedience is fulfilled. Because one of our greatest spiritual weapons is to obey God. 
Obedience to God is the simple way that God works in our lives because obedience is the highest level of trust. Obedience is how we express our faith in God. Faith isn't a feeling. Faith isn't just what you say. Faith is an action. When our confidence in God is so real that what we believe actually causes us to act in line with our beliefs. And that's what gives us victory. That's why the enemy doesn't want us to obey God. Because this, this is what 1 John 5 says. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. And who is he that overcometh the world? That he that believeth that Jesus is the Christ. In other words, when we allow Christ to live in us, when we allow Christ to be our Lord, that when, he, that when we're willing to do what Christ says, to go where Christ tells us to go, to be all that Christ designed for us to be, we can live a life of triumph because Truthfully, according to Scripture, we are crucified with Christ, but nevertheless we live. But not, a, but not we, but Christ lives in us. And the life we now live uh, 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 by faith, we live by the faith of God. We live by faith in the one who loved us and gave himself for us. And that's the victory that overcomes the world when we let Christ live in and through us. That's the most exciting life that anyone has ever been invited to live. That when we live a life of trusting God, when we live a life of allowing the greater one to live and work through our lives, we make eternal differences in our world. We make a difference that matters. We make things happen that are so fulfilling and so meaningful. We live for something more than just ourselves. And we become an agent of God to bring good, to bring peace, to bring love upon the earth when we're willing to act in obedience to God's word. And that's why... Faith is, again, acting on God's word. And faith is what releases God's power. Hebrews 11 tells us that all of these amazing things were done because people exercised their faith. Abraham left the land he was living in and went out, in other words, into a land he would afterwards receive for an inheritance. How? By faith. Moses, it tells us the Red Sea was parted because of faith. We, we know that the walls of Jericho came down because of faith. All the amazing things that God was able to do through those who trusted in him are all the products of faith because faith is believing that God is who he said he is and that he will do all that he said he will do. It's trusting. And so God works the same way. The enemy seeks to control our soul. God works in a way that he wants his word to begin to change the way we think, to illuminate our minds, to dispel the darkness and distortions and, and the ways of corruption that the enemy has tried to, to, to affect our mind. And now, Jesus said it this way, the sower sows the word. God's word represents thoughts, ideas. They are things that God has spoken. It's, they are ways that God has established. And when we allow God's word to germinate in our own heart, it brings life. We see life as God sees it. We begin to believe all that God can and will do through our lives. Because when we believe we can, when we believe God will, it inspires our faith. We act in line with our beliefs. And we develop in the things of God. And so in essence, lastly, let's just ask on this end of it, 
one of the deceptions of the enemy is when we in, as Christians can simply be content to hear God's word and not actually act upon it. And James put it this way, don't be a hearer of the word, but a doer of the word. Because if you don't do the word, you will deceive yourself. And that's one of the greatest deceptions that the enemy has wrought upon believers. To just, just because we've heard it, to believe that that was enough. But no, when we believe it, it should inspire us to act in unity with it. And that's why it's important. Because again, it's our faith in acted that gives us victory over the wicked one. Now let's turn to... In the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul brought up this issue again of spiritual warfare. And listen to what he said. And in closing out the book of Ephesians, he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. In Ephesians, it's in Ephesians 6, in verses 10, it says, Again, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you may take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the whole armor of God. So here he's telling us that our strength comes from God. Be strong in the Lord. You see, this battle is not ours, but God's. And it's important that we not just be strong in the Lord, but also in his mighty power. God has given us his spirit. God has given us his word. He's given us weapons of our warfare that when we know them, when we employ their use, when we yield to their influence, they bring about the might and power of God working in and through our lives. And so he tells us to put on the full armor of God and take our stand against, because who is our enemy? Our enemy is not flesh and blood. The enemies are not the people you see in your world, but it's the spiritual forces that attempt to animate and cause difficulties through the world of the scene. And you and I, as knowledgeable in this end, that the true warfare that we battle is what the Bible calls the good fight of faith. When Paul wrote to his son Timothy in the faith, he said, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold upon eternal life in 1 Timothy 6. It's important because here in Ephesians 6, he said, for our struggle, some translations say, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and the rulers of the darkness of this world. The term wrestle or the word struggle here in the Greek means sway. In other words, the number one way the enemy attempts to persuade us is to sway us not to believe or trust in God. And so that's why it's important here that we see that spiritual warfare is the fight of faith. When we trust in God despite opposition, when we trust in God despite what we see around us, that we believe that God is faithful, that God's word is true, that it will not return to him void, but it'll accomplish that which he sent to do. That when we, that's where we take our stand. We believe God. We trust that God's will will take place. And that's what victory spiritually is not what we're against, but what we stand for. And that's so important to recognize because too often Christians have been known for what they're against as opposed to what they're for. 
But you see, God's word is positive. God's word brings blessing. God's word brings redemption. God's word brings peace. God's word brings restoration. Where there is broken places, it brings healing. Where there is, where there is distress, it brings peace. So we need to know as believers, what are we for? And take our stand to see God's will come to pass in our lives, in our families' lives, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, in our world. We need to stand for the goodness of God. See, we need to stand for people. We need to fight the fight to believe in and trust in God to make a difference in our world. And that's how important that we do. But he talks about this, that we're to put on the full armor of God. Verse 13, he says, therefore put on the full armor of God that when the day of evil comes that we may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then. And he goes on to describe six pieces of what he calls the armor of God. Now, they're not physical uh, uh, pieces of armor, but they're metaphorical. Paul gives us this realization. So let's talk about it for a moment. Because the armor of God, he says, number one, he says, the belt of truth, let it be buckled around your waist. Number two, the breastplate of righteousness in place. He says, number three, your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Number four, that we take up the shield of faith, which is able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Number five, take the helmet of salvation. And number six, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Let's talk about these for a minute because they are attitudes. They are beliefs. They are ways in which you and I, it influences our soul and it affects our faith. The first is the belt of truth, because to a soldier, when Paul was looking at the Roman soldiers and using this metaphor, their belt held all of their weapons in place. And it's so, it's so critical. And he says, having on the belt of truth, Jesus said, thy word, O God, is truth. God's word is where we define truth. It's not people's opinions. It's not the ideas of our world. Truth is found in the word of God. Because God sent his spirit, the spirit of truth, to lead us into all truth. In other words, the Holy Spirit comes to give us revelation and wisdom and understanding. But God's word is how we know right from wrong. God's word is how we know truth from lies. And it's important. And so in essence, when you think about it, the belt of truth is what are you fashioning your beliefs on? What do you form? All that you stand for. What is it? Uh, uh, constituted by? What is it formed because of? God's word must be the basis of all that we believe. It is in truth, the belt of truth. And then he talks about the breastplate of righteousness. Now the breastplate represents the covering the most vital organs of the body, but he says the breastplate of righteousness. Well, the New Testament gives us a clear understanding that he who knew no sin was made to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.21. Jesus is our righteousness. Jesus perfectly fulfilled the will of God and gave his perfect right standing with God to us as a gift. We are made righteous by God. And why is that important? Because too often people fall into the trap of trying to do righteousness to be acceptable by God. And so we attempt to do works. We attempt to do acts of righteousness to make ourselves feel better about ourselves and so that we gain the favor of God. 
Actually, religious people attempt to gain leverage over God. It's a trap that people can fall into through the deceptions of the enemy because religion attempts to save yourself, to, to cause people to try to save themselves. But the truth is we cannot save ourselves. That's why God sent his one and only son. He came into the world. Why? Because all had sinned. All had fallen short of the glory of God. But God justified us freely by his grace. Jesus, what he did for us, made us right with God. We are justified. In other words, we stand before God just as if we had never sinned because our righteousness is founded in Christ. And here's where the deception of the enemy, it can be so subtle, it can be so simple. But many people attempt to be righteous by what they do. In other words, the truth is we do righteousness because we are are righteous in God. We're, our acts don't make us righteous. Because we've been made righteous by Jesus, we act in accordance with who we have become. Righteousness becomes our way of life because we are born again. We are made new in Christ Jesus. We are new creations now through Christ Jesus our Lord. And because we've been made new in Christ, we can do the good works that God has preordained that we should walk in. I love that scripture in second, in, in, in uh, Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's workmanship, created anew in Christ Jesus unto good works. In other words, it's not good works that cause God to move. God moved and worked in our life, and now we live out the reality of who we have become. We're not trying to become. We already are. And now we need to learn to act in alignment with who we have become in Christ. And that's why it's so important as believers that we know our identity in Christ. And so the blessed prayer of righteousness protects us against those areas of trying to be righteous or gain God's favor. No, we are the righteousness of God. We need to wear that as a breastplate because that's an area that the enemy attacks. When you mess up, when you sin, you see, the Bible tells us that we have, a, we have an advocate with the Father, the righteous Jesus Christ. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In other words, the righteousness of God in Christ should always draw us to God. But the way the enemy works, he'll whisper a thought. If you mess up, if you sin, that somehow you're unworthy. Somehow something's wrong with you. You don't deserve God's goodness and the truth is none of us deserve God's goodness. What God did for us, he did by grace. And that's another way we confront lies with truth. But we are the righteousness of God. God loves us and nothing we do will ever make God love us any more than he presently does. That's why it covers over and guards all of our most vulnerable parts of life. The third area of the armor of God is the shoes of good news. That's what I like to call it, our feet uh, um, shot with the, the preparation of the gospel of peace. In other words, you and I, our feet are fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. The shoes of good news represents the victory of Calvary. All that Jesus accomplished, the gospel, 
is the victory. The gospel is what Jesus accomplished on our behalf. His death, burial, and resurrection brought salvation to us. His death, burial, and resurrection brought victory to us. And that's why this is shoes, because the way we make traction in life is when we believe the victory of Calvary, we march forward in life. We take our stand in the truth that Jesus has already defeated death, hell, and the grave. Jesus has given us victory, that we're no longer under the law. But under, but under grace in Christ Jesus. We reckon ourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That is the gospel, and that's why we put it on as shoes, because it, we walk by faith and not by sight. We walk in the victory of Christ, and that's how we take our stand. The shoes represent, in, in fact, the soldier shoes that Paul looked at had spikes in the bottom of it. And when you know what Christ has done, you can take your stand and not be moved. There's nothing the enemy can do to move us away from that when our stand is formed in Christ. Third, uh, or, or the fourth area of our weaponry is what's called the shield of faith. And I love this because it says, take up the shield of faith, which is able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. When you know what God's word says. When you live by faith, faith is how you overcome the lies of the wicked one. Faith is how you uh, have victory because your faith begins to dominate how you act, how you speak. See, one of the things that the enemy seeks to control is our tongue. Because why? Life and death is in the power of the tongue. But when we speak what we believe, not what we see, when we speak the victory of Christ, when we walk by faith, our faith is able to extinguish all of the lies of the wicked one. When the enemy comes and tells you that you're nothing, that you're nobody, that you're a failure, that there's something wrong with you. No, faith in God's word that says, no, I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away and all things are made new. No, God loves me. I am chosen by God. I am redeemed not with, with corruptible things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. I am God's beloved. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. Neither life, nor death, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor anything. Because why? We are more than conquerors through Christ who loves us. See, when we begin to take up the shield of faith, it immediately extinguishes all the lies. Because why? Those fiery darts are to cause our life because when we begin to fear, when we begin to, to, to doubt, when we begin to, to, to uh, uh, lose faith and fear, then we will begin to uh, uh, withdraw and not fulfill or do the will of God. But no, that's why we take up the shield of faith. It's able to extinguish all of the lies that the enemy throws at our life. We put on the helmet of salvation in other words, our head needs to be fixed on what Christ has already done on our behalf. We are delivered. We are free because whom the Son has set free is free indeed. You see, when your mind becomes rooted in the victory of Christ, our salvation was accomplished by Jesus. And we need to firmly fix our mind on who we have become in Christ. We need to have the helmet of salvation firmly fixed to our head so that our thinking is dominated by what God said and not allow the enemy access to our thinking capacities. 
And lastly, the sixth part of the armor of God is the offensive weapon. It's the one that Satan has no defense for. It is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It's so important that we need to know. That's why God's Word is how we overcome in life. It is how we gain victory over the enemy. Let's talk about temptation for a moment. We'll come back to the Word of God because it is through God's Word that we actually gain the ascendancy over the wicked one. The original temptation that happened in Genesis 3 when the serpent came into the, to the garden, it said, now the serpent was more crafty. King James Bible says, more subtle than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say the very first attack of Satan is to cause doubt, to, to actually confront the goodness and character of God? Did God really say that you must not eat from any tree of the garden? It said, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God said, you must not eat from from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it. You see, if you don't know what God's word said, God never said anything to them about touching it. He said not to eat of the fruit fruit of the tree of the, the knowledge of good and evil. But because Eve was not grounded in what God said, she added on to it and the enemy exploited it because she said, you must not touch it or you will die. And Satan's next thing, he said, you will certainly not die. Well, reality is they probably had touched that tree before and hadn't died. He was trying to get her to doubt what God said. The serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate it. And she gave it also to her husband who was with her. And he ate it. And the eyes of both of them were open and they realized they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Now look at this for a moment. How did the enemy work? He attempted to distort the image and goodness of God. He said, for God knows. In other words, God's holding out on you. God knows that if you do this, you're, you would actually gain something by it. God is holding back on you. And that's where the temptations of the enemy comes to us. Don't follow God. Don't do what God said. Because if you do what God said, you're going to miss out on something. If you go God's way, you won't experience life in its fullness. You won't have the pleasures God's trying to keep something from you. See, the aspersions of the enemy are against the character and nature of God. That somehow God is our problem. Somehow God is holding out on us. Somehow God doesn't want good for us. God is holding back on us. And that is a lie. God could not love us any more than he does. He only wants good for our lives. Why? Because God is good. He doesn't want us to sin. Why? Because sin brings death. Sin brings destruction. Sin does not bring any long-term good, any momentary pleasures that it brings. Often with it brings a world of sadness. And just as these two ate, it brought destruction and chaos to the world. It brought fractured relationships, human struggles, lying and, and distortions, and attacking one another. See, God wanted us to avoid all of that. 
And so Jesus faced temptations when he came to the earth. The Bible tells us that Jesus, in Matthew 4, 1, it says, Jesus was led of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Notice the attack of the enemy is to get Jesus to doubt who he really was, if you are the Son of God. It's the way that the enemy comes to us. Well, if God really loved you, he would, and you fill in the blank. If God was really good, he would do this for you. If God was really good, it's the attempt to doubt who we are and and, and, and to twist and pervert who God is. See, the enemy was attempting to cause Jesus to prove something by turning stones into bread instead of trusting in God to provide for him. And that's why, how did Jesus defeat the enemy? Jesus said unto him, it is written. You see, the victory that you and I gain over Satan is when we know the promises of God, when we know what God's word said. See, any area that you struggle in, you need to search diligently the scriptures. You need to find the books of the promises of God. You need to use a concordance or whatever it takes. Talk to other believers. That's why it's important to be in community. You need to discover what God says about your area and then embrace the truth because Jesus said the truth will make you free. And one of the ways you embrace the truth is you hide God's word in your heart. Because when the enemy comes and he assaults the idea of following or obeying God, when he provides a temptation, the way in which you defeat his works is to stand diligently, to stand firmly on what God's word says, to know it and to speak it. Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live by by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is a direct quote from the book of Deuteronomy chapter six. In other words, Jesus knew what God's word said and he spoke it. And that's what caused the enemy to be defeated. Because why? The second temptation, the devil took him to a holy city, and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. Again, if you are the Son of God, attempting to make him doubt who he was. Throw yourself down, for it is written. See, he even tries to twist and pervert God's word. He said, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you may not strike your foot against the stone. But Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. In other words, no, I'm not going to try to do something crazy to prove that I'm the son of God. I don't have anything to prove. And let me give you a point. You don't have anything to prove to anybody else. You are who God says you are. You can believe and trust in God. You see, your happiness should never be sought to be found in someone else's head. You shouldn't seek to gain the approval of others. We should live for the approval of our Father who loves us, to trust in His love, to be all that He created us to be. And so lastly, the enemy took Jesus to a very high mountain and showed Him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came to redeem the world. Jesus came as the fulfillment of what God said to Abraham, through your seed, I will bless all the nations of the world. That's why Jesus came. And notice what Satan tempted him with. He said, all of this I will give you if you bow down and worship me. The enemy will always promise you a shortcut to what you ultimately want and know God's will for your life. 
You see, you want to be married. You want to have an intimate and great marriage, but the devil will try to get you to make a shortcut that while you're dating, no, have sex now. Do what, do your will. Do what you want to do. The enemy will always attempt to give you a shortcut. Yeah, you want to be blessed in business, so cheat on your reports like every everybody else is doing it. You can do it. You don't need to be honest on that end. Lie on your taxes. Lie on the things of them. No, 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 no. We don't need to compromise. We can stand and trust and believe because God's word is true. And so what did Jesus say? Away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and him only will you trust. The way in which we find victory over the enemy is when we know what God's word said. As the psalmist said, we hide God's word in our heart that we might not sin against you. Paul called it the sword of the spirit. I like to put it into contemporary terms. A soldier's best friend in today's army is his weapon. His weapon is uh, issued him by the Department of Defense. And so his gun and as a, as a, uh, um, a soldier in the army, their M16 is, is the way in which they are to uh, 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 defend themselves and to free others. But you see, for that weapon to work, you have to put bullets in it. And the individual scriptures that we put in our heart, that we speak out of our mouth, are truly the bullets of our faith. You see, you need to learn where the trigger of the Bible is. The Bible is God's word, but you need to know how to fire it. And the way you fire it is when you know the specific promises of God. Maybe you struggle in the area of finance. You need to find Philippians 4.19 that says, My God shall supply all my need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. We need to find the, the scripture in 3 John that says, Above all else, God wishes me to prosper and be in health, even as my soul prospers. In other words, we need to begin to see that God is a good God who meets all our needs according to his riches and glory. We can trust in God, but therefore we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and trust that all these things God will freely give to us. That's why Jesus said, do not fear a little flock. It's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. God is for us. But you see, you need to have uh, uh, the weapons of your warfare ready. You need to know how to, to yield them. Let's talk about that for a moment because the weapons of our warfare, number one is God's word. We've covered that one. The number two, one of the chief weapons of our warfare is the name of Jesus. When Jesus arose from the dead, he told the disciples to go into all the world and preach the gospel. He said that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe it. And then he said, and these signs will follow them that believe. In my name, they will cast out devils. Jesus was given a name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And you and I need to know specifically what the, what the scriptures teach, what the name of Jesus will do. Because Jesus' name has authority in heaven. Jesus' name has authority on earth. Jesus' name has authority under the earth. You see, Jesus taught us in prayer. He said, whatever you ask the Father in my name, that will he grant you. It has authority in heaven. It has authority on the earth because Jesus said, in my name, you will cast out devils. It has authority under the earth because the devil is subject to the name of Jesus. I love the scripture in Acts 19. 
It tells the story when Paul was in the city of Ephesus that there were certain Jews there that were trying that were driving out evil spirits and they tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon possessed. They would say, "In the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to uh, I, to come out." And the seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish high priest, were doing this. And one day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus, I know, and Paul, I know, but who are you? You see, you need to know who you are in Christ Jesus, because if you are in Christ, Jesus has given you the power of authority, uh, the power of attorney, I should say, to use his name. He will back up every time you use the name of Jesus, heaven stands behind you. He said, Jesus, I know, Paul, I know, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them. And he gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. See, spiritual things are not to be messed with. We need to know who we are in Christ Jesus. And one of the weapons of our warfare is to know the power and the authority that's in the name of Jesus. See, Jesus was given his name by uh, 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 the, the angel spoke to Joseph and said to him, you are to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. The name of Jesus was conferred upon him by the Father in heaven. The name of Jesus was given to him because of the victory that he obtained over death, hell, and the grave because the scripture says that he humbled himself unto death, even the death of the cross, and God exalted him and gave him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and tongue confess. See, when we know the authority that is in Jesus' name, we as believers can use it against the works of the wicked one. The third weapon I want to talk to us about is the blood of Jesus. Revelations 12 says this, they overcome, and this is to us as believers, we overcome him, speaking of Satan, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony. We need to know who we are and we need to know the power that's in the blood of Jesus. You see, we were not redeemed, as Peter said, with corruptible things as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. The blood of Jesus is unique and divine substance because it represents, the, the Bible tells us in Leviticus 17 that the life of the flesh is in the blood. Jesus' blood was like no other blood that was ever upon this earth because it represented the blood of God. Jesus' life was not of human origin alone, but it was divine. And his blood was charged with divine life. It was his blood that was shed at Calvary that was sufficient to stand in for all sin, past, present, and future. Jesus' blood is powerful because of how rare it is. It's, it's only the blood of Christ that has the power to forgive sin and to release us from the bondage of death, hell, and the grave. The blood of Jesus is powerful because of its intrinsic value, what, is, what it is within itself, because it is in truth the blood of God. And the blood of Jesus is powerful because of its forensic value, what it accomplished, what it did on our behalf. It was the blood of Jesus that redeemed us. It was the blood of Jesus that reconciled us. It's the blood of Jesus, the Bible says, that brought us near to God. It's the blood of Jesus that speaks better things than the blood of Abel. Jesus' blood cries mercy. Jesus' blood 
cries forgiveness. Jesus' blood paid the price for our sins in full. And we need to know the power of his blood as believers. Because when we stand in the power of his name, when we stand in the authority and the power of his blood, we overcome the wicked one. And we need to know the armor of God. That's a weapon. Those mindsets, those ways of understanding and believing protect us and give us victory over the wicked one. And that's why it's important that we learn to take our stand. That's what it said in Ephesians, that having done all to stand, stand. So let's talk about taking a stand. We need to know our stand. We need to take a stand in faith because 1 Corinthians 16, 13 says, be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous and be strong. That's why Paul told Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life of which you were called when you made a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. We fight the fight of faith. We take our stand upon what God has promised us and we will not relent. Number two, we take our stand in grace. I love this. In Romans 5, 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace, which we now stand. See, what we believe is that what God did for us is not because we earned it. It's not even because we deserved it. No, God gave us exactly what we don't deserve. What God did for us, he did by grace. And that's why we can stand upon the grace of God. We can trust and believe God to work and move in our lives because he moves in us by his grace. And so we can stand firm in the grace of God. We need to stand in one spirit. Listen to this in Philippians 1 27. It says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come to you or only you hear about my ab- hear about in my absence i will know that you stand firm in one spirit striving together as one for the faith of the gospel it's important because why division is of the enemy that's one of the ways the enemy works because a house divided against itself cannot stand that satan works to bring division and we need to stand in unity if you're married we need to stand together as one. Why? Because in God, when God united the two, he joined us as one. No longer, Jesus said, are they two, but now have they become one when he was asked about marriage. And so we need to stand in the unity of the faith. We need to stand with one another. We are the body of Christ. There should be no divisions, no schisms among us. We need to stand in unity. We need to stand in one spirit. We also need to stand fast in the Lord. Philippians 1, 4.1 says, therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. And that's why Ephesians 6.10 says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. We need to stand strong in God. And see, one of those ways that spiritual warfare Praying is how we see the power of God operate in our lives. And when we pray, we're not praying against the enemy. We're praying to God. But when we pray to God, when we stand for God's will, that's what serves as the deterrent that works against our enemy. When we stand firm in that end, and that's why in James it says, 
The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available, dynamic in its working. That when we pray in accordance with God's word, when we stand fast to believe and trust that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven, when we pray according to the scriptures, according to the will of God, our prayers are means by which God brings about spiritual victories in our life. It's the way that God works to thwart our enemy and to dissuade him. And so let's, let's end today in this responsibility. Because as believers, we need to know who we are in Christ. It's important that knowing who we are in Christ, that we exercise our spiritual authority. And it's so important. Listen to me carefully. If you missed everything else we talked about, it's important to hear this. Because if we don't, if we don't exercise our spiritual authority, God can't. Now, I know that sounds like heresy to some people, but it's important to know and understand that God only works in our lives in the manner in which we allow him. God will only come and perform his will in our lives when we trust him, when we believe in him, when we, when we act in accordance with him. God works through faith, but it's important that we take our stand against the wicked one. Why would I say so? Well, listen to these scriptures. It's important to see and understand this because Jesus, when he arose from the dead, said, all authority is given to me both in heaven and in earth. And what's his next words? He said, go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations. In other words, Jesus' victory, did he impart that to us to now go in the victory that he made? That's why in Mark 16, again, he said, in my name, you will cast out devils. Because of what Jesus accomplished, he authorized us. That's why Luke says, we will tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means harm us. It means that you and I need to exercise the authority that we've been given in Christ. Let me give you a few more scriptures to, to make this point clear. In, in, J, in James 4, 7, it says, Submit yourself therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Who's to resist the devil? The understood subject of the sentence is you and I. We are responsible to resist the devil. And what will happen when we do? He will flee from us. That's why 1 Peter 4, uh, um, 5, 8 and 9 says, Your enemy, the devil, walketh about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, whom resists steadfast in the faith. Who's to resist him? We are to resist him. In Ephesians 4, Paul tells us, Give Satan no place. In other words, we need to exercise the authority of Christ. We need to say no. We, can, we need to not let the thief steal from us. Jesus said, the thief came but to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came that you might have life and that to the full. It says might have. Might means it's conditional. We need to exercise the authority. We need to stand fast in what God has done for us, that we are heirs of God, join heirs with Jesus Christ. We have the victory through Christ, and we need to believe that and stand in it. That's why in, in Matthew 16 and Matthew 18, Jesus repeated this. He said, whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. Now, if you were to reverse that, it literally is saying, if we do nothing on earth, we prevent heaven from doing anything. We are responsible to bind. We are responsible to loose. And that's why Jesus said, unto you I give the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Why? We have the keys that whatever we bind is bound. Whatever we loose is loosed. We have the authority. 
That's why when Jesus came in, we need to know the covenant that we have. We need to know who we are in Christ. We need to know what God has done for us in Christ. Because spiritual victory is when we walk out by faith the victory of Calvary. All that Jesus accomplished because Satan is defeated. Jesus is Lord. And we are the body of Christ. We've been raised up and seated with, with Christ in heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but in that which is to come. We need to exercise our authority. We need to know our covenant. We need to know the weapons of our warfare and walk out this victorious life in Christ. I'll leave you with this last story because... Jesus came into the synagogue one day, and even under the old covenant, they had promises and provisions based on their covenant. Healing, healing is not just a New Testament reality. Now our healing is secured through Christ. But Jesus came into the synagogue in Luke 13, and he found a woman that had been crippled for 18 years. And the religious leaders were looking with whether or not Jesus would heal on the Sabbath day. And Jesus was angered over there, uh, the way in which they, they sought to put uh, uh, human regulations above human life. If you understand God, God is for people. Sickness is not of God. And so Jesus made the point, what better day but the, the Sabbath for this woman to be healed on? Because this doesn't represent human works. This is God showing his goodness. But he said to the leaders that day, should not this daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound low these 18 years, be loosed on the Sabbath day? Interesting. She was a daughter of Abraham. In other words, she lived under a covenant with God. But she didn't exercise her authority. She didn't know her rights and privileges. And so therefore, Satan had taken advantage of it, and she was crippled those years. Why do we allow situations of life to cripple us? Because we don't walk in the covenant in which Christ has set us free. The Bible says, stand fast in the freedom wherewith Christ has made you free. Do not be entangled again with the weak and beggarly elements of this world. To be tangled up again and not fulfill the will and purpose of God. You and I as believers need to learn to exercise our authority in Christ. Because if we don't, we prohibit God from working through our lives. If we don't, many things are at risk on those fronts. But we need to know who we are in Christ Jesus. We need to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. We need right thinking, which read, that leads to right believing, that leads to right actions. Because when we walk in the authority of the believer, when we obey God, when we yield to the unseen forces of God's goodness and grace, the power of the Holy Spirit who lives in us, the promises of his word, we bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. That's what our enemy doesn't want us to know. That's why ignorance of spiritual things cost us. But you and I can be victorious. We can walk in the victorious life as a believer in Christ. We can have victory because spiritual warfare is a reality. We live in a world where darkness and light are at odds, but we can walk in the light as he is in the light and the blood of Jesus' his son cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Light dispels darkness. Light is power. Darkness has no defense because darkness represents the absence of light. And wherever light comes, there is life. There is restoration. There is power. And that's why it's important that the church 
understand and know the authority that has been invested in us by Christ. It's important that we walk in the victory that Christ has provided for us. It's important that we know who we are and fulfill the will of God in our generation. Well, guys, that, that's kind of the end of our discussion about the unseen. There's so much more we could talk about. I hope this has been helpful to you. Until next week, this is Pastor Ken signing off.